Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? All right. This is session number 30, Mark. How That's do you like a, that map? milestone. Yeah. We just uh, warmed up a little bit off the air, and we're both uh, needing some reef therapy to talk about the things that we love. And uh, I think we've zeroed in on just a topic that everybody can get behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting because when you brought this up, I think I went philosophical on it, and then I saw some of your notes. We will share like notes through um, Apple Notes, and uh, I man, there were a couple of things you brought in that I thought were kind of interesting on this topic. Where uh, yeah, I got pretty so, excited about it. You know, there there was a time when. You know, people who kept saltwater tanks, the only thing that they were inspired by was the natural ocean. And so that's why coral aquariums are called mini reefs. Um, I think we've just kind of shortened that down to reef aquariums, but the hobby has become so much more diverse and popular in so many different regions and people have all kinds of different goals. So for this session of reef therapy, we'd like to discuss the different measures of success of having a reef aquarium. And can we bring back mini reefs? I miss that word. That was such a cool <laughs> word when I was a, when I was younger. You know. Anyway, maybe you know. Maybe at the end of this conversation, we might uh, isolate some types of reef tanks that might qualify for mini reefs once again. But um, man, if you if you troll. Uh, the or trawl not troll but trawl the forums from 10 to 15 years ago and then you trawl them now it's like people are speaking a different language and totally different goals you know do you want to describe what that's like yeah i mean i um you know in terms of you know the definition of success right is 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 um the metric you base that on is on what your goal is right and i think i mean obviously we've seen a shift. I I think if you were to ask a reef keeper today, you know, what, what are your goals with this tank? Right. I think the answer would be much different than somebody you asked um, 15 years ago or, or, or maybe even uh, further back, but, and it goes back to a bit where you're saying where we were trying to build a reef, you know? Um, I mean, your, uh, your site, Reef Builders, right? I mean, that was always, I always thought that was a brilliant name for um, your site because that that's what we were chasing. I mean, I think that's why we started with Live Rock long ago. That's why, um, you know, there we talked about coral size in one of our previous uh, talks. The goal was to grow these colonies out, you know, um, the ancillary organisms mattered a lot you know we were really into some of the oh, nano organisms the critters um and it's shifted away from that quite a bit right um the invertebrates are focused on serving a function right like uh, housekeeping ornamental, in yeah. ornamental invertebrates are they're f f well by the wayside yeah um even fish right i mean i think people fixate more on what purpose they serve now and they did. I mean, we always use tangs for, you know, algae control and all that. Um, and then, you know, we've talked about the collectoritis. I think the goal of a lot of aquariums now is to have a stable environment to collect as many types of interesting and exciting corals as possible mm -hmm. versus, 
I'm trying to build an aesthetic that resembles a reef. Yeah. Right. You know, so if you want, I guess, uh, maybe a little bit more background of what we mean by historical goals, um, definitely go back and listen to some sessions of reef therapy where we talk about uh, extra large corals, you know, growing to their full colony size and different types of reef tanks. But for this one, you know, we want to just really just help people maybe like crystallize their own goals for their tanks. And you had a nice little kind of a write up about goals and sacrifices. So do you want to delve into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you, uh, in your notes, I loved that you started to cite a bit of history about maybe what some of our goals have been in the past in reef keeping, right? And um, for me, you know, if you have a goal, if you have a specific goal with a tank, you have that brand new glass box in your house and you say, okay, what do I want to do with this tank? Um, If your goal is to achieve like a, a like I said, an aesthetic or you're going after, um, I wouldn't say species specific, but like you're, you're going after like an SBS specific tank or something like that. You're suddenly faced with having to exercise restraint, right. And make sacrifices. Um, your impulse purchases have to be in control, right? You can't just go like, you might see a really cool soft coral, but that would deviate from what your intended goal is. Right. Um, a good example for me is I love angelfish and there are corals that I cannot keep uh, with angelfish, right? Uh, regal angels, especially. Um, they love um, zoanthids, so I don't keep them. Um, uh, I like a mixed reef, right? Uh, that's one of my goals is I like uh, a mixture of corals, but there are corals that don't do great in those environments, right? Um, but I accept that uh, in in my goals, right? I make those sacrifices or I I exercise that restraint, right? Um, I don't try to buy a lot of wild corals because, you know, one, they may not do so well in a compromising tank like a mixed reef or they may get chowed down by my angelfish, right? I don't feel so bad bad if I experiment with a frag or something because it's cultivated, right? Um, But but that's sort of what I'm trying to get at is that um, once you really set a goal, you you suddenly have to exercise restraint, right? You have to stay on target. Um, and you don't end up with a hodgepodge, right, at the end of it, which is nice. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a huge range of goals. And just for the sake of your own reef tank, not you, Mark, the listeners, yeah. is try to think about it, what it is you're trying to achieve. Because, uh, I think it's a certain kind of Aquarius that has an objective other mm-hmm. than just to have a pretty box with lots of colorful marine life, which that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But like you said, um, you have to make some sacrifices. Even if you want a, just a general box of really colorful marine life, there's some boundaries, right? You can't put a giant tessellata eel in there or certain types of puffer fish or certain types of starfish or even galaxia. Right, you got to be careful about putting galaxy in a tank because it will take over for yeah. for better or for worse. And so, you know, there's some some short term girl short term goals, medium and long term goals. Um, so we're going to dive into just all these different measures of success. And I think this conversation really has, or this topic has been bouncing around my head for probably like four or five years when I noticed that 
virtually all of the reef lights reef is almost like a high tech performance you know lots of power it was right around that the the middle ages of this led era 2010 to 2020 when you started seeing some lower powered led lights and these companies they weren't claiming you could grow acros with them but you could keep a lot of corals with them and there's a whole i don't know subset of aquarists that are probably not well served by uh, you know, hobbyists that are telling them how to basically drive really fast versus you can put together a really simple reef tank, nano 20, 30, 50 gallons, some uber basic lighting, some, you know, decently nice looking polyps and hardy fish. And maybe you don't want them to grow. I've had some displays like that where I'm like, you know, I don't really want those corals to grow because the faster they grow, the sooner they're going to fight with each other, the sooner they're going to start shading each other. If they grow really fast, it just, you know, they have more mineral demands and you're going to have to reset the tank sooner. So there's, um, there's nothing wrong with slow growing corals on purpose as far as, um, you know, display is concerned. Um, but, you know, some examples of, you know, short term goals is just, basically keeping a fish alive. You know, I still get a lot of uh, messages about just the tank cycle and people are just so thrilled to get through that. Um, it doesn't have to be that hard, but hey, that is a one measure of success. Um, so keeping fish alive, keeping corals alive, you know, if you've never kept a reef tank ever and you have, you know, a handful of your first corals doing okay or doing well for the first two weeks to four weeks to a couple months, Hey, you, you are enjoying those animals. And, um, you know, we have to take, uh, <laughs> this is a really like a positive spin type of episode yeah. or type of session of reef therapy is like, you can find victories all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, I, I definitely picked up on more of those as I was putting together all the, the list of what I consider little successes. And, you know, it's, I don't, my goal is not just to grow big corals. Right. And that's what keeps the reef hobby exciting is you can go in all different directions. Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, I think if there was a general increase in focusing on what people's goals were, right? I think we would also see more diversity in the hobby, right? Mm -hmm. I think we would. I and that's sort of what I was getting at with um, right now. I think I think if you ask a bunch of reefers today what their goals are, they wouldn't really get. They wouldn't have very. Um, elaborate goal, right? It's just like, look, I just want to keep my corals alive and healthy and colorful. And, and I just want to go to store and be able to buy whatever I want and have my lights and my system support it. But um, that's going back to that admiration that I've always had for the nano reef community, the planet tank community. I mean, they go into it with loftier goals, right? I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen some nano tanks where they're they going after a Caribbean biotope, right? They're Gorgonians yes. and Recordias. And, and then it's so cool. Like those are the build threads on forums that I love to follow, right? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't care about following a build thread of three tanks that all are set up just to grow the same rare, exciting corals. It's like the end result. I hope they're all successful. I'm not like angling for their defeat, right? But if they're all successful, there's nothing, the end result is nothing for me to get excited about because I've seen a hundred of those, right? And so 
I think if people thought more about, well, what am I trying to achieve here? You know, I love tanks where people keep risky fish with corals. That's 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 a good interesting, one, right? That's a good one. Some of the guys who are just somehow they can live with themselves having no polyp extensions on their acros. I cannot do it. I mean, I just that that gets under my skin. I, my you know, if my corals don't have polyps out, I am not a happy man. But there's there's plenty of folks who you know put butterfly fish and certain types of file fish, the orange spot or harlequin file fish, no problem. You know, and yeah. their corals grow. And it's, again, it's one of those things like, all right, if you have a Sanjay Yoshi. 500 gallon acropora just solid wall to wall maybe you want some of those fish to just slow down how quickly it's going to take you oh yeah uh, to just uh you know have to frag that coral due to crowding or whatever um so yeah i think that's you that's a real point i think the because of the smaller tanks and the constraints therein you see a lot more objectivity and vision in some of the smaller tanks because some of those folks they know they're going to get there sooner Right. But definitely the the pinnacle of aquarium visioneering is the nature aquarium guys that oh, yeah. they'll have sketchups. They'll have photoshopped renders of, you know, groups of plants that they've kind of put together with, you know, pieces of wood or whatever. They might have like a, a, an actual picture of the tank before they put water in it obviously that will that will deviate and that's not everybody's cup of tea um but yeah i do think some of the smaller tanks uh definitely to you know necessitate knowing which direction you're going i think a cool direction always is um some of the smaller tanks that are being used for non-photosynthetic sony corals or you you see a lot of um I mean, these, these, these fads kind of come and go. It's kind of hard to like really get excited because I've seen the NPS corals, you know, kind of flare up for a little bit and then go away. Um, same thing with the macroalgae tank. I think I mean, macroalgae's had multiple moments in the reef aquarium history, but I still like it. And I appreciate uh, folks um, getting into it and learning more because, you know, that macroalgae is really different from corals. Yes, they need lights and they need some supplements, but just the way you handle them and deal with them, that's that's a totally different objective. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bona fide reef keeper. I did a, a, a full-on NPS tank for about a year and a half. And after about 18 months, I realized I'd started turning the light up and putting real corals in there because it didn't feel like the same hobby at all. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a dark reef tank. I was like, no, this is a very different objective. And that's not what I want. Yeah, I mean, you and I differ on that. I think I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, if you were given the choice, you could for the rest of your life only keep coral or only keep fish, you know. Oh, easy. You would pick coral, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I would pick fish. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's an easy one. I love corals. I love, uh, I'm fascinated by them. But at the end of the day, you know, I love fish more and I love using corals as a beautiful backdrop for fish, you know, so which is why I keep angels and I don't care if I can't keep zoanthids. Um I've seen guys set up tanks with butterfly fish and they just throw in all the weedy softies in there and see what the butterflies don't eat and let that mm -hmm. kind of take over. I love those kind of tanks, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, again, it that's like getting to know yourself and like what makes you happy and what um, what you want out of a tank is important. And I think when you when you look at like what your definition of success is or what your goals should be. I think that's important, right? Because don't let what you see online influence that. Like, just go back to what excites you, you know, what, and I th what challenges you, right? 
I think this is a great conversation for you and I to be having personally because we're, um, you know, legacy reefers. And so we have an image in mind where back in the day, there was one goal, grow the coral, right? Yeah. Grow the coral, grow the coral, make that mini reef. And it's important to step back and realize that the hobby has branched and gone in all these different directions that we can all appreciate. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, you see some tanks that are just full of rock, full of fish and a few corals. And, you know, the grumpy old man in me is just like, that's not a reef tank. That's a fowler with a couple frags, you know. <laughs> and some people, that's what they really, really enjoy. Yeah. Um, others, I mean, I think it was about 10 years ago I started noticing that we started getting these factions of coral keepers where, you know, the acro stickhead snobs kind of always did their thing and expected everyone to kind of graduate to that direction uh, in the future. But when the chalice corals came on and the zoanthids really fired up and uh, the shrooms had their moment, which is still going now. Oh, yeah. Um, people just got really focused on that. And, you know, one aspect that I love, love what he love is anemones. There's a last handful of years, you know, plenty of folks have kept, you know, a, a one or two showy anemones in their tanks. Uh, I mean, once in a while, you see a, a bubble tip aquarium uh, display. But now you have some people that are really focusing on the anemones. And yeah. I, I love that because they're just a very odd, giant, zoanthid kind of coral. And they have their own unique um, demands as far as like being in an aquarium. This, you know, they don't need a clownfish, but it's cool to pair them up and learn more about that. But yeah, it's a, it's a kind of interesting to just kind of step back and and recognize that uh, there's a lot of objectives. And this is kind of one of the reasons I've been one of the detractors of controllers because the general cry from certain segments of the reef aquarium community is like, you have to get a controller before you even have a tank, before you have a water purifier, before you have any rock and coral. First thing you need is a controller. Never mind the person maybe just wants like a 30 gallon tank with just some assorted hardy corals that are moderately lit. And that will be uh, well served by just regular water changes. You know, and so I think that the hobby as a whole needs to uh, recognize that more discreetly. I, th I mean, we're not like just talking about uh, anything brand new revelatory, right? Yeah. But I think across the board, the hobby should realize that, you know, there's, there's lots of different types of clothes you can wear for different outings. There's lots of different types of food you can enjoy, lots of different music, um, but it's the same thing with the reef tank. You know, I think nowadays we could soon see books being written, books, <laughs> information uh, being shared about very specific types of tanks. Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about how the hobby has gotten harder than it used to be. Um, and I think part of that is that we've added more complexity, but... Ironically, I think that our success in keeping a lot of corals has increased exponentially, right? I mean, there's a lot of corals that were on the no-no list of success um, back in the day that now are, pot. yeah, even All elegance for a while. It just, it just you know? happened. Yeah. yeah, elegance were just, you know, not not going to live. But, you know, so I have a theory about this, this newfound challenge with uh, aquariums, Um did I talk to you about this? I talked to somebody about this. I think we are have not yet recognized that the challenges that some of us are experiencing is from too much success. Mm -hmm. We are keeping so much coral 
in smaller water volumes. Um, so it's not about the rock. It's just like they, back in the day, there would be so much rock that, you know, wouldn't be growing corals. And now the, the, the ratio of living coral to reef aquarium volume is leading to, I'm thinking just huge deficiencies, um, in, in esoteric minor and trace elements, amino acids, feeding. Um, I think this, it's a different kind of old tank syndrome. I'm going to call it full tank syndrome, right? Because I think that's what I've, uh, I, that's how I categorize, um, a range of ailments that I've experienced. And I didn't have any of these problems when the, the tanks were new and they had 15 corals and 200 gallons. None of those problems are. And now that I'm really getting back on, on, on point with all these things, because all my tanks are just like 25% corals by volume. Um, I'm seeing the corals behave like they used to, but yeah, I think you're also right about the complexity, um, of, of the equipment, but it's probably because there was one basic recipe to reef. And now that recipe has been become bloated, like an operating system and people are using, you know, a Mac OS when they should just be using a small app. You know, for messaging yeah. or something. I don't and, know. I think. I mean, well, I was going to say my point to that because uh, uh, you, you know, you, I can I can go off on people are convinced they need CO two scrubbers these days. Um, well, I think we started but, some of our first sessions kind of debunking. That yeah, just like yeah, we, we've said what we needed to say about that, and I'm, I'm no, pretty sure it's just going to come back around to just like, what were you doing? <laughs> what were you doing the whole time? But I mean. Um, I think in terms of success and goals, I just assumed we'd see more interesting goals being set by, you know, if you go to your average build threat, hey, I just bought a reef tank, this is what I'm setting up, follow me in my journey. I thought we would see more diversity in that because I think on a whole, we have much greater success with a larger variety of corals today. Mm -hmm. The reason uh, Acropora were so exciting to me long ago was they were not easy, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I remember an Audubon magazine article, you know, talking about how corals don't grow in captivity. And then there was a big um, hoopla about that. And, um, you know, the Stuber Acro suddenly grows out of a piece of live rock in the 80s in Germany. And, but I mean, um, again, one, the internet, presence in reef keeping there wasn't this whole like community online that you referenced so it was really just local but acropora were like these mystical corals to me they were mis mm -hmm. or not mystical sorry mysterious um and i remember you know seeing them for the first time and being challenged by them and there weren't a lot of people keeping them and you know if you, you were in get the them right you couldn't even get them i remember having to work at a store ask them to order acros and they had to talk to the wholesaler. Then they had to ask their suppliers to send us acros. We got one like light brown tabling acro and I got one little frag and I took it home. I have no idea at what point it died, but it was about two weeks later. I saw algae growing. I was like, well, I guess it's not alive. <laughs> and, w and we were like the crazy people in the hobby, right? I mean, I remember living in Colorado and going to, uh, finally I learned about, you know, where I could get some SPS coral. And it was, um, a guy who like had a, had some reef tanks in a back alley in Colfax Avenue, which I know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, I'm talking yes, about. Sir. And I remember walking in there and seeing all these corals 
these these SPS corals and suddenly I'm making a box with fans and running Iwasaki's and you know and now you're going like off the deep end right in the hobby and but I mean now our success with Acropora is pretty solid I mean I, I wouldn't give it to a beginner but um there are I certain species I would give to a beginner true yeah I, I mean would, yeah, I would I would gladly hand out some red dragon I have a friend who has a 90 gallon tank uh I, I, I rarely see the tank and he just set it up because he wanted some saltwater fish. I put the uh, Tortuosa and Green Slimer in there, uh, the or, the ORA tort. And mm -hmm. every, like once a year, I'll go over to his house and it's just growing like bonkers. It, it, yeah, it's just a weed. But anyway, so I, I'm going long-winded. What I meant is we have so much success with corals now that we can sort of like the Planetan community set goals right it's not about keeping corals alive anymore it's like what are you going to do with these corals as they grow like what's your what's your you know vision here you know is what i mean i think that's an excellent point that i hadn't uh listed here but yeah now we have the luxury of making goals other than keeping it alive um but you know some other goals i mean, I mean let me throw out there my first my favorite goal my favorite measure of success. I obviously am uh, multivariate my goals, um, but my favorite measure of success personally is the reefer's code. Is yeah. giving someone a frag of something that I collected and grew or just grew from a frag and I grew it to enough to the point where I'm able to just say here, you know, and take some good frags, good, visible, <laughs> identifiable frags, not genetic samples, and share those with a friend. And, you know, I have, uh, I don't know, about 10 corals I've had for 20 years. Um, none of those I've had in my possession uninterrupted, right? Some of those corals, uh, you know, I traveled around, went to colleges and that. I shared them with friends. And then when I was back in a place to uh, receive them, I got all these corals that were not, you know, just not mind blowing, not headline producing, but they just, you know, have this huge nostalgic feel to me. And so, yeah, that's my favorite thing, man. Just getting some small frags, growing it out year two, five, 10, whatever it takes. And then finally be like, Oh, here you go. I've been growing this for so long. This coral likes this light, it likes this flow. Um, it'll thrive under these conditions. Don't put it next to that. This fish will bite on, you know, that just being able to have that story associated with the coral, the reefers code is my absolute favorite favorite measure of success and that's why I, you know i'm like i've given away a lot of corals locally i need i need more friends because i just don't like shipping coral <laughs> just like here you go just here take it and then it's really cool to go over their house and just see what they've done with it like your friend who just let it completely go grow now you didn't let it go he let it grow i it's funny if i when i look in my tank there's quite a few corals that have you and i have exchanged hands over decades you know mm -hmm. um and, um, I mean, you could say those, those corals are now several generations just established in, in captivity, right? Like they're here to stay for the most part. I mean, and I've given it away a million times because I, you know, it grows. I don't know what to do with it, but, but to your point, it's, it's just, it's such a cool feeling to know that that coral has an established population that would be you'd have to put some effort into getting rid of that coral in the hobby mm -hmm. now, you know, like, yeah. uh, it, it just, it's going to persist. So. Absolutely. Um, as far as other measures of success, there's some other weird ones that I got some that will be more relatable, but you know, another thing that I really enjoy is getting finicky fish to eat. 
I don't mm. want to do this all the time. <laughs> First of all, I mean, obviously, I want the fish to eat whatever I give it on day one. But one, getting it to eat anything. And two, getting it to eat flake and pellets. It's just so rewarding when you have, you know, some kind of angelfish, some kind of butterfly fish, uh, or some kind of tilefish that just really doesn't want to eat anything besides frozen food. Um, but yeah, I really pride myself on training all of my fish to eat flake food and to eat pellet food, which is more affordable, better for the tank and just easier to deal with and um you know one of my tile fish the purple tile fish the one of the best ones took them a long time to come around but now he eats everything i know you know experienced tile fish keepers will, will say they'll eat nori but just having a purple tile fish that eats flake along with all the other reef fish all of a sudden i'm just not worried if i go a few days without feeding frozen food. I know I can keep them fat. I know I can keep them healthy. When a fish starts eating flake or pellets or prepared foods like that, I'm just like, oh, you're you're good now. You are set. <laughs> you are set for, you know, the rest of your uh, unnatural life in an aquarium, which hopefully will exceed their natural life in the wild. Yeah, that's that one to me. Um, I also love when you finally get a tank past that instability zone and it just gets into that autopilot zone, you know, mm, I, I love that. You're just not worried about, Oh, what's going on with that device or is that coral receding a little bit or, you know, what's happening? Yeah, that is a good one. You know, so I have it on here, you know, in like a medium term, uh, measure of success is getting past the ugly phases of a reef tank. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I do believe there are ways to really minimize that. But for example, um, when I set up a reef tank, I kind of pretty much expect to, because I don't use that much cleanup crew, I pretty much expect some explosions of Valonia. And man, sometime you're just like, how will I ever deal with this? And sometimes you don't. You don't have to deal with it. Sometimes yeah. you have one emerald crab for a six-foot tank, and he'll just kind of keep it in check. Meanwhile, just general reef activity is not going to permit that animal or that that creature, that living thing, to to really, really take over. Right? You've you, you you've seen tanks that had Valonia bad, but you haven't seen tanks permanently just overrun with something like felonia and i feel like the same way with with hair algae um i, I mean i feel so many messages from people who are so desperate and a lot of times i'm like yo you're probably just you can do a couple of these things to just sit, just to, you know turn the ship a little bit right yeah just turn the ship a little bit and eventually you'll sail into smoother waters and just don't worry about it and one day you'll just look at your tank and be like oh my god it's it's you know, self-corrected. So I do, I, I really like what you're saying about the the stability. Before somebody asks, I know somebody ever asks, tell us more about what you mean and what the time frame is of that kind of, uh, the durability of reef tank that you're describing. I mean, you hit it well on the head. I mean, some of it's the ugly phase, but um, I don't know. I think the first year of a reef aquarium can be um, somewhat tricky, right? And And part of it is because you're, you're messing with it. You're adding corals. You're adding fish. So you're, you're, you keep shifting the whole balance of it, right? Even I would argue, I mean, I think adding corals, I mean, you and I agree on this. If, if money was no object, I would heavily load a tank with corals from the start, right? It's like heavily loading a tank with plants. Um, mm -hmm. But um, eventually, it's hard to describe, but one, you become more in tune with your tank. Um and if you're like me and a bit OCD, you develop a good routine that works. Um, and then you 
it's like you don't have like these big ups and downs anymore, right? You'll have some seasonality to it, but for the most part, everything kind of grows. And then and then you're well on your way to what you described as full tank syndrome, right? Or where <laughs> you become the victim of your own success. I mean, I do think there's some value in doing a reset every once in a while, but you then get into that instability again, right? And I've seen that where I take a large clam and donate it. And like the whole, that whole, what I'm talking about where your tank's on autopilot goes out of whack for a bit, right? Because yeah, I just took a the huge balance and, export. You know, what, you're, what you're used to having in a tank as far as yeah. like exporting or consuming nutrients and minerals. But you, and what you said about the algae is so dead on, right? Um, if you have some, a problem like that, I, I always look back and I just break down everything I'm doing, everything I'm adding. And then just make small changes but, and mm -hmm. don't expect immediate results. And just kind of like you said, like staring that oil tanker, you know, you, it's hard to be patient and wait three months. But it's also hard to look at a tank just full of the wrong color of green. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong shade of green. I mean, I'm going with that. <laughs> I have a little 20 gallon down in the basement. That's just a mess. I'd be embarrassed to share it right now. But I'm. Because it's not my main tank, I'm also kind of curious to kind of watch the uglies evolve through it and not really uh, attack it with a hammer. Um, but it's funny, you know, I, um, I remember trying to lose a little bit of weight. And so I started tracking uh, not my, only my calories and my carbs. And then I just reduced my carbs by like, I think, 10 grams a day. Mm-hmm. And in a month, it's like you could see changes, right? The metrics shifted, and it was such a minute change. Right. And it just, um, I, I, I thought about it. it was funny because you, know, you know, you're a reef keeper when you know everything in your life you relay back to your reef keeping. Like I, I've, I know I've had my share of guitar metaphors, but, um, but yeah, I thought about reef keeping. Like you know, if you fed, if you actually measured how much you feed and say reduce that by ten percent would you see like minute changes, right? And so uh, to, to your point, like some of it is just, it's not a forever problem, right? You just got to figure out. Yeah. And those swings, they're not, <clears throat> if you're not messing with the tank and barring any technical problems with your equipment, you're not going to see huge swings of this or that, either yeah. up or down, right? It's just going to kind of coast. And, you know, I think I have a couple tanks that I've got in the studio that are hitting that point where I'm just looking at them like, there's nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to do to them. Like, all right, we're going to clean the skimmer and make sure the dosing pump stays full and wipe the glass and feed the fish. And, you know, once in a while, every couple months, get in there and just suck out some very uh, mineral rich. Uh, sediment or detritus it's not even detritus it's just like sand produced by the tank it ends up in the corner um but yeah it's just it's just really nice it's just every day like all right what's growing today what's growing the most today <laughs> wouldn't you wouldn't you agree you you hit that autopilot quicker if you keep things simple too oh yes you oh know? yes and that's you know so that <clears throat> a little bit of personal backstory is the the concept for the reef builder studio came about when I, I, at my home, I had like five, six, eight tanks, you know, you saw those and I was constantly messing with them to test equipment, to test equipment, to test this, to test this additive, to test the salt. And I didn't like the price I was paying for that, um, instability. And I think that's kind of why, um, I say I hate every new light. 
<laughs> there is no, <laughs> there's virtually no light I'll put on a tank and just instantly love it. And some of them I'll just if you run the longer I run a light and add a new light, it will be repulsive. And then after two weeks, I kind of like it. And after two months, I'm like, oh, that's really good. That's a unique coloration for that light, you know. Um, but yeah, I think uh, as far as as goals, you know, some other things that I really also enjoy is again, I don't want to have to, but I love saving a coral. Or saving yeah. a fish. Yes. Sometimes you see a fish and you're like, I know exactly what that fish needs. And y'all tell the store. I was like, I'll take that fish and I'll work on it. And if I get it to live, then I'll come back and pay you. Because they know me. They know me. I'm not going to take a fish that's fine, right? You can see I'm like, all right, that that clown fish is usually has clownfish disease. Let me take it off your hands. I know how to treat it. I'll fix it. And now I've got a blue stripe clownfish I got from one of the local fish stores. Went back and paid him for it. It's very cool. But frags probably is another one. It kind of goes in line with um, sharing a frag with a friend. When you grow out a colony and it has some issues and you're able to nip it in the bud, which is if it's a terrible, if it's a you know serious issue, usually you don't. Usually you're lucky enough to just kind of do some amputations and save a couple pieces and then grow that back out. That's one way. But this year for me, I've really been, um, you know, with some encouragements from some fellow hobbyists, uh, been using treatments, you know, seeing some weird stuff that I just can't put my finger on. I know that my water chemistry is fine. The coral surrounded by others who are doing absolutely fine and um, having some mixed success. I haven't done it nearly enough times, but actually I have a coral hospital tank now. I do treatments in there and um, just, you know, really that's, that's so cool. Because after a, a lifetime, a career of just seeing corals look a certain way, be like, well, throwing your hands up. I don't, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> just, you know, you can't frag a scoli, <laughs> right? right? Or you can't frag a tracky. And then once in a while, it's just like, why are you pissed off? And put it in a hospital tank, do a little shake and bake, come back to three days later. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you you would be bones right now if I hadn't done that. That's one of those little successes, little triumphs that I, I freaking love. And I look forward to pointing to a lot of corals uh, a few years down the road that I'm like, hey, I, I saved that coral. I saved that coral besides fragging. That's one thing I really love. I Yeah, I mean, I, I love when um, one, you know, I've had, <clears throat> when I had that heater incident, I mean, there were a couple of SPS where I literally just had like one polyp left. Mm. And there's nothing better than seeing that thing recover. And um, I, I was really inspired by your comments where you were saying, I'm not okay with, you know, just certain things just not doing well anymore. I want to figure out why. And it it rang, uh, it rang a bell in my head because I sat there. I'm like, I think we all do that sometimes, right? Where if the big picture is doing well, you know, your your reef tank is doing good, but there's just that one coral that's, you know, just failure to launch, right? It's just not mm -hmm. doing well. Um, being someone who keeps angels and mixed reefs, sometimes I'm kind of like, well, you know, I tried, but I started to take a little more interest in, well, why? You know, why not get your hands wet and try to move it around? Uh, um, I had uh, a micromusa that was not doing well in that tank. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put it in my smaller tank and just baby the crap out of it. Right. I'm going to see like, why aren't you happy? You know, <laughs> and, and it started to bounce back and, and grow new polyps. And, um, and it was fun, you know, it was like a little challenge, right. To focus on this one coral and its success versus the, the bigger forest, right. The big reef. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I, I don't know. I almost like that about smaller tanks too, is that I think you're more focused on the the health and success of each coral rather than, you know, getting lost and and having so many corals. So um I don't know. I the yeah one, the one cool a thing about a, a about coral that. hospital tank, I mean you're talking about a ten gallon tank, a weak light, a power filter, and a lid. The lid is to help moderate the temperature. Like I don't have to put a heater on a tank that has just a little power filter because those ten watts or whatever from the power filter will just keep it 75, 77. Yeah. So it's just like it if it doesn't work it's also super low risk, <laughs> but if yeah. it all right. So, you know, I have one, um, I've talked about this a few times on the, on the, the program. I uh, was experiencing some, uh, alarming, uh, tissue loss on my, in my euphilia tank. And one of the corals that really rang the bells was this beautiful gold galaxia that I had grown from a frag and then took over this entire frag rack. And it was about the size of a, uh, grapefruit cantaloupe i'm trying i'm like literally picturing sizes in my head right now which one's bigger either way it was like a nice big piece and man oh i put it in reef primer a couple times and then i put it in the hospital tank and i hit it with some um shake and bake um and i just left it in the hospital tank didn't you i mean did a couple water changes and it's been i guess four or five months since that really first kicked off and now the colony is back in a normal reef tank well, normal for me, right? And every bit of tissue, I mean, it, it lost about half of its polyps from the corallites. Some some areas were contiguous, others were really disparate, dis, disparate. And now when you look at it, it's just regrowth everywhere. Nice. Everywhere. <laughs> it looks almost a little cooler than it was just a solid head. You know, I'm talking about coral sizes, an actual head-sized piece of coral. And every, now, every time I see that coral now, I'm just like, I saved you. <laughs> freaking saved you with some hail mary shots in the dark i had no expectation that it would work and it did it actually worked so when i see that coral i'm like yeah i did yeah that, that, that some... one makes me really happy yeah i like that story um speaking of that uh coral spawning right is another i think let's save that to the end because i feel like that's the culmination oh, of all right. successes is that cool mm -hmm. with you yeah, I'm just excited about what I witnessed in my own tank. So, oh yes, oh yes, we'll get there. So, right next to the reefer's code and being able to grab a coral and grow it out and share it and ensure it, but just share the love. Like that's how much I love the hobby. Also, it's just because I want to promote it. I will give away the frags to the to the right home, plant it in the right tank. My second favorite thing is brown acros freaking love brown acros i will every wholesaler will tell you i'm always calling up hey you got any brownies this week <laughs> and the price because of, of freight and stuff like browned out acros used to be like five bucks wholesale and if you grabbed five colonies and you you know told them you got three they wouldn't care they were just just so happy that somebody would take that off their hands right um so they're a little more expensive now but I mean, like all the maricultured um, deep water naked acros from Indonesia and Bali, those things almost always come in brown. Mm -hmm. And you just, they don't need that much light. They don't need that much flow. Um, but you just, if you have the patience and you put them in the right place, man, they just always surprise, man. It's just incredible. Like, it's incredible how common Acropora loconi is. Every reefer who would, would see a picture of a loconi would want that and the thing is the corals like 
kind of really common out in the wild at a certain depth. So it's also super commonly farmed. But by the time it gets here, it is brown with like maybe some imaginary light blue, light purple going on but that's one coral man i will i will i will buy up every one <laughs> every single one i mean i don't have that many but when i see it i'll buy it because i know i can tuck it in the corner come back in a couple months and be like boom there you are you're you're awake and then as you, you know it, it accelerates in growth um it's just really going to impress and so i feel like that's what makes acros particularly fun for a certain generation of reefers right we always knew that like you never almost never have the best color possible for that coral it is it is uh, like a vertical mountain you can never reach the summit that coral's always going to keep growing it's going to throw out fun colors to the base to the polyps to the axial tip to the growing margins to the radial coralites to the tentacle tips and you know then you can experiment with certain things to to get those colors to really come out and that is one of the most rewarding group of corals yes it can be hard you know for certain species um trying to get those uh fake looking you know doctored images that you see online but there's like this bermuda triangle of, of where that coral can sort of look like that all the way to the colony and that's why i, I really love you know grabbing brown acros always super excited even not just brown acros but less than colorful acros you know they don't collect brown acros and ship them to us they're always some kind of color you know so i, I, I love those wild card uh, brown acros so maybe i'll hit up a well, bunch of people to send me brown acros next the, year going back to the reefers code it's always funny when you share frags with your buddy and he's able to pull a different type of color out of it, right? Or extract or how a, about a different look. When you visit his tank and he says, that's that coral. And you're like, no, no, it ain't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, wait, what did you do to it? You know, because yeah. that's, that's the learning part. Yeah. So this is kind of like a, another triangle of the reefers code, brown corals are challenging corals. And then you send them that coral and then you go visit them physically like a sane human being and spend some time face to face and look at the coral and like, what is going on here? And then you're teasing apart the riddle of like, well, maybe they're dosing this or they have this particular color of spectrum or maybe their alkalinity is just a little spiked. But yeah, that's a great follow-up of um, between, you know, getting corals to look super awesome, sharing with your friends, and then just seeing the results and, and, share, and, and sharing notes. Yeah, I mean, for me... Um I've also had goals around just, I like, I, well, back when all, back before LEDs really um, took over, I remember trying to make an energy efficient reef. That was a goal for a while. Um, so, mm -hmm. and there were no DC pumps yet, you know, so I, I went with like a Tunzi skimmer because I was convinced you could undersize your skimmer, you know, um, and that went back to like a Richard Harker article about skimming. Mm -hmm. um, I switched over to uh, dosing Kalkwasser. So I got rid of my calcium reactor and then I switched to T5s at the time. And I was chasing this arbitrary thing where I had calculated the wattage I was using on my 180 gallon tank back then and just seeing like, could I cut that in half and still have a, an, a, an exciting reef tank, right? I'm not sure if you and I talked about this, but I, that was one of my goals also because 
you know, a non-controllable pump rent 24-7 add a lot of energy to your tank. Oh, yeah. The lights were so bright and powerful in order to get enough light. They just, oh, my God. I, you know, I'd be talking a 50 to to $100 a month for an average reef tank. Yeah. That was the power bill. And it's funny to think now, like, I have a planted tank over here with a 2-watt light on it. Yeah. <laughs> a 2-watt LED, right? So, I'd like to revisit that here in the near future and be like, what is the lowest wattage per gallon I could possibly get away with? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, now I have, um, you know, now I have more of a, you know, like, I, I'm always about the aesthetic. I don't want a... Um, I don't want my main display to look like a science project, right? I want it to be something attractive. I, I want it to be a, a part of the house, a piece of furniture. So I'm, I'm always chasing that too. You know, I, I, I love setting a goal of creating a, like a work of art, right? Um, Absolutely. I've seen some tanks with amazing corals and amazing colorations, but as soon as Why, you thank zoom you. out, it's... Oh, <laughs> No, I'm, but I mean, you know, the ones where you zoom out and it's a science project, right? Like yeah. In your area, like in the studio, like that's where you get to like have fun with that kind of stuff. If I set up a tank in the basement, I'm not going to care about that, right? I'm going to have fun and try different things and it'll probably be a mess. But I love when I love seeing something that's put together really well and well thought out. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd love I to will, see more of that. I will always give my corals what they need. Yeah. I'll always give my reef tank what it needs. But one thing that I pride myself on the systems is having fewer, better devices. And one thing I love pointing out when rare visitors come to the studio is what you can't see. Mm -hmm. Powerheads hidden, virtually no pumps or no hoses or outlets like visible, obviously, except, you know, right at the return, which is totally normal. Um, running a really quiet reef tank. And this was a goal for me here at the studio. Thankfully, all, a lot of those things like kind of dovetail, right? Having an efficient tank and having mm -hmm. a quiet tank because I couldn't film in the studio if everything was like gurgling all the time. That's that a great point work. about sound, right? I don't want it to be loud. I want it detracts from what you're trying to create, right? This serene picture, living picture, mm -hmm. right? And if yeah. you got fans humming away and yeah, it's just, <clears throat> that's always been a goal for me. You know, like that's yeah. a measure of success for me. Um, and you know, with flowing water and LEDs, you know, and some kind of active cooling, you're always going to have a little bit of white noise. Totally cool with that, right? I yeah. do want to know that my reef tank is running. I do want to, yeah. you know, like if, when I leave town and I come back after two days or five days, I, I walk in the studio, close my eyes because the sound will tell me if there's anything, any, any pump that is just rattling or something or something's gurgling or one of the overflows needs to be adjusted a little bit or just anything. And when I walk in more than looking at the tanks, I, I close my eyes and I listen. I'm like, is that the right sound? Yes. All right. And if sometimes it's not, sometimes there'll be just a couple hums here and there that will alert me to something, something, and I'll go check it out. Boom. So yeah, having a really quiet reef tank with, uh, you know, basically invisible equipment, um, is definitely one of the things that I strive for. And it, it increases my enjoyment of my tanks when I'm not distracted by cores and wires and pumps. Um, I know some folks, uh, you know what? I think my older tanks, they, I enjoyed seeing that stuff a lot more. I enjoyed displaying that stuff a lot more because I hadn't had the toys before. Um, but now that I've seen that stuff. I know it's just going to get covered with salt, creep, and dust. And if you don't <laughs> clean it up, everything yeah. just looks nasty around the tank anyway. 
but yeah, yeah, those are those are kind of like 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 little side victories. Yeah, um, little ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, that's we got to take them how we can get them. You know, mm-hmm. you know, one that doesn't uh, appeal to me, but I know some folks, man, they really enjoy their reef the most when their sand is pure, clean white. Mm-hmm. And I can get I can get behind that on their in their tank. You know, so those, that's another small measure of success is just completely eliminating any traces of diatoms or dinoflagellates or just anything kind of kind of growing on the ground. If I have sand, I want it to be clean. Yeah. Without too much input from me. <laughs> well, you got those guys now that like stir it every few days, you know. Who? Um, <clears throat> I've seen a few oh, guys you know, do you're that. talking about aquarists that do that. Oh yeah, they have little sticks and they come in, they go in and s- they do like a shallow bed and they stir it. So they always have the most pristine white sand bed and I can respect that, right? That's um hey, there's something to be said for light reflection, for yeah. sure. You know, we used to count that in our uh lighting budgets, right? When we had such bright lighting and everybody had white sand, it was like, "Oh yeah, there's all this light reflecting underneath and if uh, your bird's nest corals uh, you know receding from the bottoms because you need more white sand underneath to reflect that light into it." Yeah. Um that's... but yes, yeah, so, you know, kind of going back around to some of those uh nanotank concepts that you were talking about, um you know, 10 years, 11 years ago, I did a uh, concept tank. I called it Eco Reef One. Mm-hmm. I used no live rock. I used only ceramic. And I know that sounds silly today, but back then putting together a, a, a tank with corals filled uh, was just unheard of. It was inconceivable that you could get away with that. And after some success with that for a while, I went all the way. I was like, all right, can we just put a coral in a box? Can we just skip to the to the laboratory setting? Will this work? And sure enough, Eco Reef Zero was really cool. And um, I'm, I'm encouraging people to do that. And I'm getting a lot more questions about people who want to see like, huh, can I take this reefing thing to this most extreme uh end and to just just have a coral in a box and what is that like because when you strip away everything that is uh, superfluous you can really master the basics and it, it, it's and the nano tanks man so much fun with that experimentation I'm trying to think uh, let's see oh another one you know documented here at the studio set up a reef tank in one day that's that's one goal that was super cool and i did it again on ecotech marine a, a month ago and then that same tank not the ecotech one uh is now two years old and i've never dosed it i think it's had three or four water changes in about two years and those those are not like necessary required water changes it was just like oh i want to suck out a little of this funk that's growing on the sand bed <laughs> um yeah what else oh yeah you we you said you love the the whole super silent and and power draw thing so i think that's that's maybe some of the kinds of uh, small victories that uh reefers who have already grown out the corals um those are some of the things that they look to um let's see some other successes um finding new ways to manage mineral balance people always ask me oh should i use which one is the best when you preface any question with what is the best you're in for like a long yeah. discussion. <laughs> what is the best for what? You know, there is no best, uh, you know, mineral dosing is, is calcwasser, calcium reactor dosing. And you want the best of all worlds? Use all three because they all have their advantages. But finding new ways, like, I, you know, I didn't partake, but I 
vicariously enjoyed the uh, the notes and observations from the reefers who were using the uh, Tropic Marin Alpha Reef. Alpha Reef, yeah. Just because the very concept of being able to get away with dosing one thing is a low-key mind-blowing. I'm not yeah. going to do it because I already have my methods, but I will follow along those who do. So that's that's, that's another That's, a, that's such a cool one, too, because it's easy. You talk about carbon dosing, right? And it's the bacterial activity that builds the alkalinity of that, right? Because I think it's calcium formate. But I mean... This is what they tell us. <laughs> I know, but it's just fascinating. Like, you think that, that we've seen it all and then you see that. So, um, I do. Yeah, I, I think, um, although, you know, we've had questions about it, I think trace elements are interesting, right? And you're starting mm. to see people tinker with that. But um, I'd love to see more... Um, more process around it, right? Like more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm talking about. I don't know, but I have a rant I want to interject here. All right. Go <laughs> We're allowed it. one per session, right? <clears throat> Reefers need to stop saying their tank is powered by dot, dot, dot. <laughs> did, that, did that push a button for you? <laughs> no, I agree with you. I uh, Because it's like. And then they put the sticker on the tank sometimes too. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if it's the equipment or the additives. I care more actually if it's the additives, right? Because it is chemistry. No one has some secret sauce that is going to magically make your corals healthy, colorful, vibrant, growing, spawning, horny, whatever, right? And it's just like athletes don't say that they're Nike powered. Sure, it helps. Yes, of course, it helps to have specific types of additives and specific types of equipment that do you know, perform as they're supposed to. For sure. Yeah, give them some credit. Don't give them all the credit, you know? Yeah. And so you have, you know, Triton Powered, Fueled by Brightwell, or Aquaforest Aqua is really pushing this, or, or Methods. Any one of these additive lines, Moonshiner's Method, people ask me about that, I guess, because it's really mysterious. It's all chemistry. Right. I yeah. really thought that Triton was kind of going to be the end. And people would ask me, Oh, what do you think about this method? I'm like, it's not a method. It's chemistry. It's, it's chemistry. And they really push that harder. But, um, what were you going to talk about? <laughs> oh, no, additives. Yeah, yeah. additives. There is no magic additive but and, you it, know, power to the companies that list what's inside exactly, because yeah. that would, that's what pushes things further. You there know, you could can't be put good chemistry in those bottles, but if you obfuscate that from everyone, cause you're worried about, you know, trade secrets and all that, then it's just snake oil again. It's just, uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, how do we, how do we get further along with understanding trace elements and their I impact on corals if we don't freaking know what's in the bottles half the time? Right? I don't need to know the exact concentrations of iodine, zinc, manganese, molybdenum, copper, and iron that's in an additive. I do like to know that they're in there. Right. I don't need to know the exact concentration. I don't need to know 50, 70,000 PPM of iodine in something. Just tell me there's some iodine in there and I'm happy. If you got a little twist on it, you know, maybe you can just throw out some hints for like the really interested Aquarius to go do their own research and just oh, maybe find out, you know, what that is. But yeah, as far as the additives, end of rant. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> no, but you know what uh, I but, would love to learn more about is that um, how we deliver these elements um, how they're stabilized in the bottle is different, right? And are certain type um, initially or do they eventually become more bioavailable, right? Because I think you've got like potassium iodide, then you have like iodate or something like that. Mm -hmm. You've got different 
um, ways that they stabilize these things, right? And um, I mean, you talk about nitrate, you have sodium nitrate, you have potassium nitrate. Um, but, and that's a bad example, I guess, but it's just are certain forms of these compounds or if these elements are part of a compound, are they more bioavailable? I'd love to learn more about that, right? It could be that you're dosing a certain element, but the 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 whatever it's paired up with, you know, to stabilize it in the bottle makes it not available to the coral to, to begin with, right? So yeah. uh, th- those are things I'm curious about. Um, but I, I I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, oh man, uh, you said it's something earlier. Kind of going back to the reefers code and sharing with friends. It is so much fun. Like there's, I mean, literally the periodic table of elements to dabble in as far as what should be in your tank, what shouldn't be in your tank, what concentrations. And I'm just asking all reefers, like if you use a certain brand, that's cool. Right. But you wouldn't say that, you know, your cherry pie is powered by somebody's X dot, dot, dot flower. It's how you made the cake that matters most. Mm-hmm. Right. So just don't, don't do their marketing for them. Don't do their marketing for them. <laughs> if you're using a particular method, sure. Just don't use that as your identity. Like you wear Supreme or something. Just please. <laughs> you are the cook. You are the chef. If you make the, the reef cake, own it. Take credit for it. Don't like subscribe to these ideologies. Anyway, that, that is officially the end of the rant. But it is very fun to compare notes. Like you and I, like we'll compare notes. If I see, uh, you know, you uh, start trying out this or that, it'll boost it alkalinity, a little bit bluer light, um, amino acids, or some trace elements. You're gonna tell me, and I'm gonna do the same for you. But then we can really compare notes because there's only so many reef tanks, and even though I have a dozen reef tanks, I'm doing them all sort of the same. I'm baking that cake my way, and there might be something like, all right, here's a great, here's a great example of small successes and little measures of success is what if you're using um, a particular compound that is photoreactive and you're adding it during the morning right before the lights come on and your friends adding them at night so the corals can soak them in um, the success is what I'm describing is not with that element it's comparing notes with your friend and developing a deeper understanding of how your tank works and yeah at the end of the day having some nicer hopefully better looking corals well and when we talk about success and goals um that gets you to be more sciencey right if you say okay i'm gonna try this new additive right for one month and so then you take stock of where your tank and your particular corals are you define what you hope the outcome is right i would love to see these type of changes based on what I've been advertised or told this will do, then do it for a month, right? And then take stock of the results, right? Was it a success or was it a failure, right? If it was a failure, are you dosing too much? Just that methodical Maybe you just didn't shake the bottle. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you forgot to just shake the bottle. I'm a shaker. I shake everything. I shake all my drinks unless I carbonated. Um, But yeah, there's- But we talked about this like um, with fish, right? And people, uh, some folks got riled up that were very pro pellet. And I said, okay, but I have, I tried the frozen thing and I, you know, in terms of a measurement of success, I didn't see an improvement, right? I, I, if I'm feeding pellets and my fish are breeding and they're living with me for, you know, quite a long time, you know, 10, 15 years, um, then what, what, am, what should, if, if you say, Mark, start feeding frozen every day, you have to, I'm like, okay, what should I be looking for? 
What is the measurement of success that I should see, right? What is the change, the positive net change I should see if I start feeding frozen food? And that's my, that's a big thing. Like if you're talking about goals and success in this hobby, if somebody convinces you to add an L, a trace element or start, you know, feeding your corals with a coral food or whatever, ask those questions, right? Like what should you be expecting? Even anecdotally, just like, hey, mm -hmm. to my eyes, the corals are growing a little bit faster. Okay, well, if mm -hmm. you believe that, then that's success and you should, you know, continue to use the product. But I just wonder how many times people get into a, a loop where they start dosing crap or adding things to their tank that doesn't actually make a difference. You know, when you increased your pH with a CO2 scrubber, like what did you experience? You know, was mm -hmm. it, was there, like you have to, um, you if you make a change, look for an outcome, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, th I think it's a, a logical culmination to uh, get some some sex on, get some sexy time going on in your in your reef tank. And the thing that's funny, though, is just like, you know, in freshwater, for sure, the measure of success, you know, besides growing big, beautiful show fish is getting them to breed. You know, that's why a lot of and it's just so cut and dry in freshwater. Oh, my goodness. It's just so cut and dry. Grow up the fish to show size. Or breed them or both, and boom, you got your little badge or something from your club, and master breeders have bred of 100 things, 500 things. But in saltwater, yes, you can get the fish to breed and spawn, but then anything after that is so much yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, okay. I've, you know, I actually had some clownfish lay eggs today and I've never raised clownfish. So I'm actually going to try to put a little tile there. And next year, that'll be one of my many challenges is trying to grow some F1, uh, true percula clownfish. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have fish spawn, saltwater fish spawn. But aside from Thangai cardinal fish, you know, that have uh, some parental care where the fish come out fully formed, I'm not interested in big tubs of living soup and waiting months for little microfish to come out um but with corals yeah that's that's a measure of success that very few have tasted you know I, also there's some people who kind of confuse also uh brooding you know brooding poslaporas that will just um, do polyp bailout was not true reproduction there is no reproduction it's just a differentiation of the polyp back into you know dispersal form um but yeah you know jamie craggs and his uh, little community of uh, of coral spawners you just have to be it kind of, this kind of goes all the way back to the beginning is those sacrifices and for me the sacrifice is like oh my god you got to put it in a black room you got to put it in a black room so you never mess up the lighting cycle and you can only look at it at certain times. I guess it's not the end of the world for most people, but that is definitely like a, a hobbyist thing to time it because you will get, you know, clam spawning. And I've heard of one or two people getting some coral spawning without, without trying too hard. Um, but if you just have one piece that goes off and there's no other corals that, that, that release the, the, the gametes at the same time, you don't have, uh, you know, fertilized larvae, uh, fertilized gametes to turn into larvae to settle out in your tank. But uh, I know you're chomping at the bit, so go ahead and tell us. Go ahead and tell us, Mark. No, I mean, well, so I clam spawning. Yeah, um, I've had good luck spawning fungias. Right, they they get to a certain size, and I had one like every October, just you know. <laughs> Um, oh, I remember, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that used to be way more common. Yeah, We're talking fungi about fungi, fungi not easily. cyclos. Yeah. 
I, I, I think they would spawn pretty easily. I don't know. I didn't do anything special. Um, I've never had a soft coral spawn, and that's what happened to me this week was the um, – uh, some folks call it Japanese. I don't know if it's from Japan, but the um, I call it Capnella. Yeah, green that cap, nice, nice green cap, that real fluorescent green one that's kind of making the circles. So I have a I don't know eight inch colony, and I just noticed inside of its stalk were all of these little black seeds looking things like they look like um like pellet food basically, and they would slowly rise to the top, and then the uh. The polyps are like, they look like, uh, God, I don't even know what you would describe it as. It's like, it's like the polyps have folded into themselves, so they look like mm. little mouths. And now uh, it normally looks like little bells, yeah, kind of on the side of the stalk. But yeah, yours is it's like closed up so hard. Um, it, it reminded me of those tunicates that used to come in. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Those weird ones? Blueberry or gumdrop, yeah. what were those things called? Um, they always so, fell off the stock. Yeah. <laughs> always fell off the stock for everybody. But I didn't believe it at first, so I sent you a picture of it. And then, yeah, just this week, it's been just gradually just releasing them. Um, it's really hmm. interesting. Maybe it's not uh, Maybe it's not spawning. I don't know. But it's uh, to me, that's what I've it seen indicates. It often enough that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's spawning. I'm for sure, I was very, like, gun shy about, like, calling it in the past. But now it's been documented very well. What's interesting is uh, Green Star Polyp. Seems to do it pretty often, and somehow it fertilizes, and little eggy weggies go all over the place. And I'm not so sure about the capnella being able to self fertilize, but but yeah, that is you know kind of the next thing. And today I just wrote my second article on what I think is one of the coolest coral stories ever. Did you see it? The today. lazy blue zing bird's nest. No, I haven't read it yet. So I wrote about that like in February. And um, so there was this guy, I forget his name, I'm sorry, but this store is called um, Lazy's House of Coral. And he kept a bird of paradise bird's nest and um, the, the the standard metallic green polyp bird's nest. And I think one other type, and they just kind of grew together. And there must've been some real like cross fertilization because I don't know, he said a few months, I have to go back a few months later. He saw these little poslapora little things kind of popping out all over the place and he was killing them because, you know, poslapora, we have enough and we don't need it all over the place. And uh, somehow a few kind of made their way through. And as they started growing, he noticed it was not poslapora, it was bird's nest. And so he let them grow out and wouldn't you know it, just like a perfect blend of the bird of paradise and the green polyp, uh, more blunt uh, tipped bird's nest. So freaking cool. And he didn't do really anything cool. because those are brooding corals. And so now I'm just like, all right, can we take a pink bird's nest and the new blue zing and get those to kind of cross fertilize and get some, you know, funky hybrids. Cause he didn't literally no work other than growing the corals together. Yeah. So I think that might be a really cool approachable way because, uh, Pasapora, uh, bird's nest, Seriatopora and Stylophora are all really easy to keep really easy to keep and they you know they're not really aggressive with each other so you can have a, a colony of different varieties of stylos another colony of different poslapora another colony of different bird's nest and to a lesser degree stylosignella i have seen one example at least of polyp bailout in stylosignella um that was once but many years ago but they are in part of that family so maybe you know we could see 
some reefers getting a little bit more into the poslaporids uh, and growing them together in such a way that if they did spawn, it'd be very easy for them to fertilize each other. So I thought that was really cool because you didn't have to black out the tank. Um, yeah. the, coral is, the coral is unique in the world as far as we know. Right, the two corals, like I don't know what species they are, but one of them is thick branch with kind of sharp tips, not like a bird's nest. The other one's kind of thinner branch with blunt tips. I mean, they look like different species. I used to think the green one was uh, Gutatus, Seriatopora Gutatus, and the bird of paradise would be Caliandrum, but. Vincent confused me. <laughs> he, he confused me against Gutatus. He's like, oh, no, no, that's not Gutatus. I've seen Gutatus very deep. I was like, all right, all right. But he, but he convinced me that it's not. But either way, that was a really cool measure of success. And I think he just deserves a lot more fanfare or celebration because that could be a coral that's never existed ever. And it's the only, like we have, we've had captive Like a captive spawning. hybrid, basically. Right. We've and of known aquarium strains, right? Yeah. So we've had some captive breeding, you know, and I'm not discounting anything Jamie's doing with his chimeras and stuff, but these were two known aquarium strains, very well known for a decade or more. And then to have them spawn in captivity by basically on accident, resulting in a completely new coral. Oh, man. I wish it just makes me so wish that more corals would, would behave that way. But unfortunately, no, that's not how it goes. But that's another measure of success. So, um, yeah. Lazy's House of Coral, I'm pretty sure he's got frags available. No one's beating down the door. Um, and mine grew really fast in the last 10 months. Oh, I have two pieces. I'm like, all right, well, one of them needs to get cut down to size because I'm going to share it around with some local folks just because it's, it's such a cool story. I'm jealous. I'm, I'm not jealous, but I, I wish it would happen to me. Yeah, I mean, on on my side, I don't. I'm not doing anything special with moonlighting or anything, right? I, I do have my tank in a sunroom and it gets a lot of natural sunlight. And so I would surmise it has some moonlight hitting it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing anything crazy. It just, it decided yeah, I mean, it, to it, do its thing, you know? <laughs> it's only a matter of time before some subsets of the aquarium hobby get more into spawning corals, yeah. right? Imagine how just how freakishly rare it was for people to raise marine fish, you know, maybe besides clownfish and some gobies. And, you know, you now you got Kathy Leahy who's raising coral bandits or has done it. Um, you know, just totally landlocked. Um, I think ORA is raising some angelfish, sustainable aquatics. And you just, you there's always somebody experimenting with some, with some weirdo fish. And there's a huge community community of support that can, share those successes <laughs> and build upon that. And so we just need a lot more Jamie Craig level hobbyists to double down and really kind of focus on some coral spawning to get us some, some actually legitimately rare corals. You've seen the pictures of his chimeras of like blue and green tenuous acros. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, dude, I would trade in 10 rainbows for that chimera. That thing was just crazy. Unbelievable. But what's cool is that we have discussed so many different ways to experience and enjoy success in the reef aquarium hobby. And I feel like there's new ways to 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 find and, and seek those those small victories all over the place all, all throughout the experience of keeping a reef tank growing out of fish growing out of coral like for example i've managed to not kill my turbinaria bifrons for like six years 
and it's finally growing out to the point where the disc of the skeleton is starting to fold in on itself and create its namesake bifacial frond. There's one coming up. I'm so excited. <laughs> and you know what? When the, when the corals grow out, they won't be one that anyone really, really points to. Um, but yeah, there's still so much room for the most experienced reefers to look for new successes and new victories. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, keeps us in the, in the hobby for a long time, but clearly our listeners know that this is not a hobby for us. This is definitely part of our lives. We're never going to set it down. Yeah. But if you're, um, if you're someone that's going to be in the hobby a long time and, and you just can't quit it, you know, I, I, I just can't not have an aquarium, you know? So you have to set new new goals, right? You have to measure your success differently the longer you're in the hobby. You have to chase things to keep it interesting. Um, and I, you know, I hope I see more of that. I, I, um, that angel fish book, the Japanese one, right? There was like in the back a guy who set up a dedicated species tank for flame angels, right? Mm, and I'm like, that's mm -hmm. so cool. You know, like it's, it's like it people is. just really shake is. off an angel, a flame angel. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty common thing. But to set up like this 25 or 30 gallon softy tank with some flame angels. Yeah. It's just, um, it's amazing. Like your goal could be that small, right? Set up a harem of Royal grandmas, right. And, and build a nice cave for them. And, and that's what you see in the freshwater side where they, they, their goal becomes like, I want to, I want to display this animal in its best possible form, right? Mm, I'm going to mm. choose lighting that really accentuates the red flame angel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's a cool goal, right? Like it doesn't have to be like, I'm going to master dendronepheus, right? Um, I but, have failed at that like four times. Yeah, same. I've, no, but I've, you're right. There are know. some simple, stunning victories as far as like just presentation. I feel like uh, Eco Reef Zero, the Zero Reef concept is a way to just have a glass box with just the coral. There's nothing to distract you from it. And same thing with the fish, man. You put together a you know, a twilight habitat for some deep water basslets or angelfish or a shallow reef or a reef slope for this or that exact fish, like a, like a rebel zone for some flasher wrasses. Oh man, that just, when you, when you were presented with a fish in a way you've never really appreciated before. Oh my God. Yeah. That is, that is really fun. And I, th I hope that this um, conversation overall will be um, encouraging to a wider range of reefers who don't think their tank is good enough or don't think their stuff is bright enough or just are having some challenges with the, you know, early days or middle days of you know, getting the reef tank to that stable point. You know, I, I want to encourage everybody to just look for those uh, little bits of success. Yeah, celebrate of success your small wins, All right? along the way. Yeah. All along the way. Just, it's the corniest thing ever, but definitely applies to a reef tank. It's not a destination. It's all about the journey. <laughs> well, and, you know, truth be told, if your tank's got bubble algae and some hair algae, it's probably, it's it's it ain't pretty to you, but, like, your mm -hmm. fish are probably in heaven, right? <laughs> so, yeah. think of it that way, too, right? Like, think about the, the things that you're caring for and, yeah. It's I know. Cyano. Here's so here people freak out about Cyano. Yeah. I don't know why. I was just about to wrap up this session, but they freak out about Cyano. But like, I, I'm I'm quite surprised if I don't have a, a patch of Cyano in every reef tank at least once a year. 
like that that is so hyper normal there's been this reverse fetishization of cyanobacteria as if it is something totally wrong but it's not Okay. No, it's <laughs> Gotta true. Kill the tempo right there. But yeah, there's just a lot of ways to enjoy your reef tank. You got a little sign over there, a little bubble over here. As long as it's not totally overgrowing your corals or choking out your fish, which is not really possible. Um, yeah, just enjoy your tank and, and take the good with the bad and just know that there'll be brighter times on the, on the flip side. Agreed. Very cool. Well, yeah, you know, reef tanks is definitely one of those things that uh, will challenge you all Mini the time. Mini <laughs> yeah, there's. We should all be more cognizant of uh, all the different successes that we achieve in our aquariums, and I hope uh, we found a few more for you guys to ascribe to your own aquarium. And uh, you know, let us know in the comments on the YouTube video uh, what are some some of your successes, some of your goals with your reef tank, some some of the ways that you enjoy your reef tank in in ways that we may not have described and uh, haven't said in this a while. So I think we have pretty good rating right now on certain uh, podcast platforms, but let us know uh, how we're doing on your favorite podcatcher platform. Uh, subscribe, join, follow, and uh, we'll catch you guys on another session very soon. Good topic, right. Jake. Good night, Mark. Talk to you soon.